Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. The Rebel Report from Super Talk Mississippi with Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brister. Listen carefully. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, November 10th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Uh, Pack show today. Got some football to get into. Uh, basketball got a huge commit. Um, but honestly, it's actually, I said Pack show. It's probably actually kind of a light one. Ole Miss had a football game. They won the game. They There was some stuff to take away from it. Not a whole lot. I didn't think New Mexico State is awful. Uh, but we'll get into that. Probably some hoops. Uh, definitely from the game Friday as well, and then kind of see whatever, uh, wherever else that takes us. What's up? Not much, not much. It was, uh, finally, we had a, a decent weekend of college football. We haven't been able to say that much. Um, yeah, I uh, I didn't watch it, get to watch a ton of it with Ole Miss being scheduled at the exact same time as LSU. Oh, and you shot up there in the press box and watched Alabama LSU. Oh, I just meant the full slate of the day. Oh, okay. I did watch Alabama LSU up there, but like the early games, I caught a little bit of it. I had some family in town as well, so. I caught some of most of Alabama LSU, and then I caught some of the uh, some of Penn State Minnesota and a couple of other ones. But yeah, pretty good weekend of college football all around. I would uh, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, I guess because we'll start off with I don't know we can go hoops or football first. I don't really care. I mean they. Uh, I mean it is still football season technically. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Ole Miss beat <laughs> uh, New Mexico State. What was it forty one to three? I, really, the main and only I thought takeaway from this game in terms of like anything sub, substantive is Matt Corral. This is not really a two quarterback thing. I know we've kind of known that for a couple weeks now, but like despite the the stuff they're trying to sell you in the post game, which I, you know, they got a couple more questions. They said this is very much a two quarterback thing. Uh, obviously, that's not true. They they they're lying. Yeah, they've uh, they found their guy. I don't really know what they gain out of saying that at this point because Matt Corral's not dumb. Like he sees the writing on the wall. Um, He's going to transfer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, it. I guess some other pieces would have to fall into place or not fall into place at the end of the season, which is probably why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, probably gauging, kind of see what goes happens. But, but, like this, if uh, if Rich Rodriguez and Matt, and Matt Luke are still here, he's going to transfit. Yeah, pro- I mean, there's probably a world where if Rich Rodriguez gets a group of five job, Matt Corral kind of sticks around to see who the That's new. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, one of them has to has to not be here for him to stay. In my opinion. Yeah. So I, anyway, uh, the, like he played a couple snaps in the he played a couple drives in the second half, much like he did against Auburn. He got two drives there in the second quarter. Kind of the same thing. Um, hold on, this thing's going in and out. Yeah, so this is very clearly not. They're not utilizing two quarterbacks anymore. I, I don't, like I said, I don't really understand what they're trying. They gained out of saying that in the uh, in the post game because Matt Corral again, not dumb. Like he, I, I probably sees the writing on the wall. You know, I would if I were him, I would obviously take a long look at transferring with the way this this is shaken out. Unless something drastically different happens in the last couple of games, I don't really know what evidence there is to suggest that anything would be different. 
But yeah, you would have to think at the end of the season he would probably take a pretty hard look at moving somewhere else because it's not even really just that. Like I, I, I don't even think like if you, I don't think writing that he was beaten out would necessarily be accurate. No. In terms of like losing his job, it's just um, it's 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 kind of a weird situation where it's almost like the coaching staff quit on him at the first sign, really of any kind of bad like. Adversity's not really the right because I mean he had a rib injury and they weren't moving the ball very well in that third quarter against California. But really, at the first sign of things kind of going awry, they really pulled the plug on his development. Really, after spending the entire offseason trying to make him the face of the program, which is a very bizarre move. Like I, I didn't really understand it from the get go, and then once Plumlee kind of started doing the his thing with his feet and all of that, I thought okay maybe there's a world where they split time, but it's really like a a package type thing, all the things we talked in the ground on this podcast for the last three weeks, but it's really just become they they. It's almost like a, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just like a piece they don't really think they need to use anymore. Yeah, uh, it, it feels like they've changed their entire offense over the course of the past two months with with Plumlee. I mean, it feels like they're running two completely different schemes. Um, so that, that that's their choice. They're they're going to be the ones that have to live with it. Ultimately, die by it. Um, in, in a metaphorical sense, but you know, I mean, it is what it is. I, I, I don't expect the kid to be here next year. Frankly, I, I think at this point, if you're Ole Miss, sort of disingenuous to play him at all the rest of the season. You, you, you've made your choice. Don't don't try to do the dog and pony show. Just play your guy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they don't really lose anything by playing him. Well, my, my argument would be you could get him hurt. And that, that's the last thing they need to happen if they're not going to commit him to being the quarterback because then you, you know, kill off some, some transfer market options for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, but if he doesn't, like, if he's not saying he, he's out, like, it, that's kind of, I would say that would fall into his corner more so than the coaching staff's because if he's open to playing and they play him, it just kind of is what it is. Like, if he said, hey, I don't want to play, I don't want to get hurt, like, I, if he's not saying that, then the coaching staff, like, not playing, I don't think that would be, like, like I don't think playing him is, like, off-limits or ill-advised if he's not well, saying Well, I also that. think it's disingenuous in the fact that if they do play him, they're just trying to do everything they can at this point to keep him here when they long laid their decision that he's not their quarterback. Yeah, but my thing with that is if they made the decision that he's not the quarterback, why would you care about keeping him around? Like, what I don't understand about this coaching staff and what I don't understand about what exactly they're trying to do in terms of an offensive identity... There've been even when he goes in there this this last game notwithstanding because the score was out of reach and they just kind of threw him a bone I guess by putting him in for a couple drives but what I don't understand about this is in the previous two games really the previous three games they put him in in situations where they've actually like needed him and wanted him to throw the ball so it's like they can't fully wean themselves away from the idea that they pulled the the they pulled the plug on it like they keep wanting to go back to it so I think in the most part, for the most part, they're playing him in spots where they actually think they need him and can help him win the game. So like maybe there's some truth to what they're saying. I just don't understand what they're doing because it's like they keep waffling between two decisions. Like at the same time, it seems clear that they made a decision that Plumlee is their primary guy. But it's like they fully. It's like every time they see him throw a pass, it's like in the back of Matt Luke or Rich Rodriguez's head. They're like, oh shit, what did we do here? And then kind of think about going back to the other way. Like, yes, they've kind of made a decision, but it doesn't feel like they've fully gone to it. I don't think they're playing him just to play him. I think they played him in a couple spots where they felt like they needed him. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't understand what they're doing and why. Yeah, well, to be fair, we haven't understood what they're doing and why for two months now. Um, it just it's, it's a weird situation. I mean, you, you, you do everything to promote this kid and, 
uh, you give up on him after four starts. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of people talk about his four starts and what he did, and I don't like to look at his numbers past that, frankly, because when you play as little as he does and sporadically as he does, it's not fair to gauge numbers and, and, and all of that when there's no ability to create a rhythm. He wasn't terrible in the four games that he started as the quarterback of all Miss, and I don't really think it's fair to gauge a quarterback's career on the first his four, first four starts of his career. Um, if you did that, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and I'm not comparing him to them. I'm just saying those guys didn't exactly get off to the best starts their freshman year. Like, you do get time to grow and develop as a quarterback, and Ole Miss didn't support him that opportunity. Well, yeah, that's really the underlying story here. Is like I, I would honestly argue – Barring them like losing to Arkansas, or literally just getting shut, like if they if they had repeated the offensive performance against Arkansas uh, that they had against Memphis against Arkansas, and then you go into that Cal thing and it's a little bit the same. Okay, maybe pull the plug, but I guess what I'm saying is like bar- barring a complete and utter disaster, it would have seemed unwise to completely pull the plug on him. But I guess they just, I mean, I, I, I hate doing this over and over again, but it's really the only storyline with this team that matters going forward is because if Matt Luke does indeed get a 2020 and it keeps sounding like based on who they're probably going to hire as the athletic director, that he will. And this is really the only storyline that matters. What is their offensive identity going into next year? Who is their quarterback? Like, what is, there's no clarity at this position at all in, a year that started with the fact that you thought it, they had the ultimate clarity, like it was one guy and that was going to be it, and this is who you were riding with for the next three years. So I, I, I don't understand the decision. I don't really understand how they handle this, but now it kind of feels like the toothpaste is out of the bottle and you're not really able to put it back in because like you've, you've made a decision, kind of, but again, I don't get it. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. It's like they have made a decision, but then they keep going back to him every now and again. And it's not really a two quarterback rotation because if you like the only time this was ever actually a two quarterback rotation was that second half against Missouri, like and they had pretty decent success with it. But after that, that was really the only time it's actually been, you know, accurately portrayed as one. Because even against Texas A and M, like that wasn't really a rotation. That was just kind of some bizarre fumbling through a bunch of different stuff. Like I, I don't, I don't even really know what I'm saying. This has put my brain in a pretzel. It's. It's baffling because if if Plumlee really is your guy, and that's what I think is going to happen here, right? I think he's going to tear through Mississippi State's defense because State has an awful run defense. Whether Ole Miss wins the game, I'm not sure. I would actually probably tend to lean right now that I'd give him a pretty good shot at winning the game over there. But then it feels like that's what's going to happen this entire offseason. They're going to sell Plumlee as the guy. Corral's going to leave. And is that really the most wise option given – Plumlee's limitations as a passer because there doesn't seem to be a very high ceiling to get better there. Yeah, I mean, people keep saying that he can develop, and okay, but I, I'm going to need to see it, frankly. I, I, I don't know if I look, I think there's a valid argument that Rich Rodriguez doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, they, they don't let the kid throw over the middle of the field in, in, in games that matter. Um, is that because Rich Rodriguez doesn't know what he's doing, or is it because they don't trust John Rice Plumlee? I think it could be a little bit of both. Um, I'm, I'm interested to just kind of see how this plays out because I, I, I just I have a hard time believing that Plumlee's not going to play baseball this spring. So that leaves you with Ken K. Dent, who I've heard this, and you probably know him a little bit more than I do. I don't think he's going to be the guy that just is happy sitting on the bench for four years at Ole Miss and living in Oxford. I think if he can find somewhere to play, he'll do it too. 
to reference a friend of mine, I don't think it's going to be a Ryan Buchanan type situation where he kind of bides his time then maybe waits until he kind of runs into a quarterback battle, which is what Ryan did after Bo. And I know people don't like to believe it because Chad Kelly would end up being so good, but there was a time in that quarterback race, really in middle of August, where you didn't quite know, like you were kind of waiting on Chad Kelly to take the job, but he was a bit of a loose cannon. That didn't practice well. Yeah, and well, and the the I guess my point in saying that is like, like it's kind of like people remember Chad Kelly as this great quarterback now, and he he was and he is, but like that was an actual competition through the summer. Like there there was probably a favorite to win it, but like Ryan Buchanan had a puncher's chance to win the job. And I mean, hell, I think I think our friend Hugh Kellenberger at the time wrote a column advocating for Buchanan to get the job because it was like this offense. I think that went a little bit deeper than him actually thinking he needed to get the job, but yeah. Well, I mean, I think it was one of those things where it was the it was the all classic reference of this offense is a Ferrari handed to the kid that's not going to wreck it instead of the guy that's going to drive 110 miles an hour, whatever. Yeah. Not the point, but with Kincaid, yes, I do kind of get the sense that he wants to play and wants to play quickly and he's not going to be cool just kind of hanging around for a while. So, I don't really know what the like. I'll be interested to see what this quarterback depth chart looks like in the spring because Ashford is not going to be an early enrollee. It doesn't sound like because he's a two sport kid. He has a senior year baseball season. So I mean, like, do you have a world like? Is there? There's a realistic, somewhat realistic world where I, mean, I don't think, in spring. I don't, I don't think Dent transfers this year. I think he, he stays for the spring. Um, but I think he's your only sport, or scholarship spring quarterback this year. I was told he got in the game. I, I missed the he last did. seven minutes of the game because, like, instead of walking down to the field like I normally do, I just went straight to the press conference room because it was cold and there was nothing to watch. But uh, did he do anything? Like, did he? Did he? No, he handed the ball off. Oh, okay. Oh, he probably looked damn good doing it. Anyway, <laughs> um, Raider Nation. Yeah, exactly. So, I uh, yeah, I mean, I just what is this? What does the quarterback room look like in the spring if they? Kate Dent, Seller Shaw. Yeah, they're just. They didn't, I guess. I guess the, I'm asking this to kind of illustrate the fact they didn't really have to do it this way. Like this didn't have to happen the way it happened. Somebody might have brought up a good point. I mean, and we've talked about this a lot on here. Matt Luke, at some point, probably going to go to John Wright Plumley this this next few months and say, "Hey, bud, uh, you're going to be our starting quarterback, and we know we promised you to, to that you could play baseball, but look, we really need you in spring practice." What does Oldman do if he says no? Like, like they can't. There's nothing they can do to stop him if the kid wants to go play baseball. Because if he does, he's still going to be the starting quarterback regardless. Well, I think that's going to happen. And I th- honestly, I think at that point, though, and I'm, I'm again, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm putting myself in a position that I've never been in before in terms of like kind of putting myself in his shoes. At that point, if you're being offered a chance to be a starting quarterback in the SEC which is what he so just kind of feverishly desired in recruiting. And part of the reason is he here because they told him he could play quarterback when other people wanted him to play slot receiver, safety, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think he would leap at that opportunity because... But my, my problem with that is if he doesn't, if he doesn't go through spring practice, he's not going to lose that opportunity. He's still going to be the starting quarterback. I don't know if it's that cut and dry, though, because if you don't well, have your starting quarterback going into spring, I don't know. I mean, you, 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 I mean, Astro's not an early enrollee kid. But That's what I'm you, saying. He's not going through spring either. I don't know. Do you hit the grad transfer market? Do you hit a transfer somewhere Maybe. else? I mean, That's, that, that, there's a lot of open possibilities there is my point. I don't think it's that cut and dry, but I, 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 that, I, I think he would end up leap. Like, I think he would end up looking at it and saying, look, this is an opportunity. Like, baseball's fine because, like, 
no one seems to really know what he is as a baseball player. And so it's not like in the sense that Ely where like it was like, okay, this is actually going to end up happening. I would tend to side with the fact that it probably ends up becoming – if that becomes the case, I think he would ultimately quit baseball. Well, I think that is the case. I mean, they've made him the starting quarterback. So he's either going to play baseball in the spring or he's not. But he is the starting quarterback next going into 2020. I don't really think that's the uh, – I mean, they're not going to start Ashford as a true freshman. They've obviously got him ahead of Dent. The offense that they run doesn't suit Dent's skill set. But they're uh, starting a true freshman that didn't go through spring practice now. Do what? They're starting a true freshman that didn't go through spring yeah, practice right now. I don't think they would hold up on it at all. They didn't start in game one. I mean, no, but that's because you kind of had an incumbent like guy seen as well, the starter. you kind of got one now. Well, yeah, I, I guess it comes down to how much do they really believe this? Like, are they doing this because they just like the way the offense looks now? Which I don't—that's another thing I don't understand. How can you like the way the offense? I get what looks? you're saying, but they believe in him enough to run two quarterbacks off. Yeah, I guess so. I just—I don't think they would balk at hesitate at, at starting Robbie Ashford as a true freshman versus a kid that's you know kind of the same thing they did this year. I don't think they would hesitate at that at all. But I no, guess, I, I think by the end of the season, Ashford is the starting quarterback, frankly. Um, but well, if he comes here, I'm not a recruiting expert. He may go to Alabama for all I know. If he shows up here, I think at some point he starts this quarterback for Ole Miss next year. Because I think at some point they realize maybe that this offense isn't going to work in modern day football. I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, so I get. I, I've been seeing the uh, the take that this offense does not like work in the SEC, and I don't necessarily disagree with that because there's really no evidence to support it. But it's almost like ever since he went to Plumlee, he's running an offense that he's not properly equipped to run with the current personnel. Like, he doesn't have a great offensive line. He doesn't have an offensive line that seems to be used to kind of doing these sort of blocking schemes with Plumlee at quarterback and all of that. Like, I would just wonder, like, I'm not necessarily ruling out that it it does or doesn't work. I would just be curious if Rich Rod had his ideal personnel in there, what I, I'm not going to bat for him here in this sense because I think you have to run offense, you know, fits your personnel and moves the ball and it scores preferably. But I would I would almost wonder, like, if he had his ideal personnel, like year four Arizona and he takes his offense, would it have more success? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it helped that he had Khalil Pay. Um, so, we'll see. It, 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 it's just kind of a – I'm, I'm interested, frankly. Do you think this is the offense uh, Matt Luke would run if Rich Rodriguez isn't here? No, not exactly, but I do think Matt Luke really enjoys the idea of them being a run-heavy, punch-you-in-the-mouth type of deal. I think he really enjoys that aspect well, of it, and I, I think that's I'm, part I'm of what's gone into play to play Rodriguez public. takes a group of five jobs, um, whoever the new offensive coordinator is is not going to appreciate the fact that they ran Matt Crowell off. Yeah, but at that point, you're just kind of working with what you work with when you take the gig. Like, Yeah. Like Here's I, another thing, and we don't talk about this much, and maybe we should. Um, it's going to be really hard to hire an offensive coordinator if you're Matt Luke after this year because, frankly, who's coming here on a deal where they know if you don't win next year, they're getting fired. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think there's enough people that would take that job. Maybe. I mean, it's... You're moving your family to Oxford, Mississippi, a strange place for you that you've never been for maybe one year. That's, that's a tough sell if you're not paying them extremely, extremely well. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, it's a major SEC West um, 
it's a major SEC West, like, I mean, offensive coordinator. I think there'd be plenty of people that take it. You know, maybe does it scare off a couple different candidates? Or are they more hesitant to take the gig because of, you know, the current situation with Matt Luke and, like, you know, him kind of being perceived as a lamed up head coach? Yeah, sure, possibly. But I, I, I still think there would be a pretty decent candidate pool just given the, what the job offers. But at the same time, if Richard, what is the, I guess another scenario is what, I guess it, if Rich Rodriguez is back next year, I don't understand like what. I don't understand where you go from here because I think in the next week or two, like you're going to have to because none of these these in this next game against LSU obviously kind of predetermined they're going to lose. Then you go to Starkville and whatever. But at some point you have to start asking like long term. It's like what exactly is this offense because they don't seem to have know the answer to that right now. Yeah, I mean, offense that hasn't worked against competent SEC defenses. Um, I guess, yeah. Uh, somebody was like, I said that the other day, and they were like, well, they put up 34 in Alabama. And I was like, well, I, I did say good SEC defenses. That kind of cracked me up. Alabama's defense is not very good. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's a situation where, I mean, it, it, they've gone all in on this, so it better work. Um, and, and what scares me, if I'm on this, I mean, can you really run your quarterback like they're going to do throughout a 12-game season and not get hurt? Yeah, I mean, Rich Rodriguez has done it in the past. I don't think they're definitely – I mean, I, I guess – Yeah, Rich Rodriguez hasn't played in the SEC with linebackers that run a 4-5 either. That's fair, but, like, the Pac-12 is not the swack. Like, you still got plenty no, of dudes it, that – it's a different deal here, man. Yeah, but I don't necessarily buy into that to where, like, if your quarterback's not going to get hurt in the Pac-12 to where he is in the SEC, I don't think it's that drastically different. I mean, hell, look at what Kentucky's doing. Well, Khalil Tate was, you know, Kentucky's starting quarterback towards ACL. That's fine, but I could still able to do it. I, I don't necessarily buy into that. I mean, it's both high major power five conference football. Like, I I, I don't think you're going to be necessarily more injury prone in one league as opposed to another running your quarterback. But I don't know. It'll be interesting the last couple of games to kind of figure out what this offense is. Um, aside from that, I mean, there's not much to take away from this. The freshman running backs ran pretty well in the absence of Scotty Phillips. Um, you know, Snoop Connors finishing off a really strong freshman campaign. So is Jerry Neely, but I think the uh, the the former was a little more unexpected than the latter because you remember this time last year, Snoop Connor didn't have any Power Five offers. So he's finishing off a nice year. Defense played okay, I guess. You can't really gauge much off of this. New Mexico State might be the single worst. They might be the worst major college football team in the country. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, besides the Arkansas. I mean, I think they're definitely worse than Arkansas, dude. That would be a fun game, though, right? Yeah, so I, I don't... I, I don't I really know what else to like take away from this. I wrote after the game about the quarterback deal. That was really about the only thing that I, I could even imagine as far as the storyline from the game. Like, I mean... <laughs> Nothing really else jumped out. They came out of it, I think, pretty healthy. Although I think they lost, uh, they I think maybe Tisdale exited with an injury on the defensive line, and we'll probably get an update on that here in a minute at the Monday press conference. Um, I guess, kind of looking ahead into next week a little bit, is there anything? Like, I just don't even think the whole like like one of the storylines going into the year was looking more competent against quality competition. And to some degrees, they've done that. Like, they were in a road game against a pretty good Auburn team for a while. Like, they were in the game at Missouri against a team that at the time was perceived to be a pretty step up better than they were. Like, not getting beat, you know, 
you know, 14 or 40 to 10 or whatever against teams like this, like LSU, that was seen as important going into the year. I'm not really even sure that matters as much at this point. I don't, I'm not even. I'm not sure there's much they can do this week that's going to curry any favor with the checked out fan base. Because I guess that was another thing. There's probably 20, 25,000 people in the stands at that game on Saturday. I don't know how much necessarily that is with regards to the current state of the football program or the fact that it's 3 o'clock against a winless New Mexico State team with the Game of the Century Part 2 happening. Yeah, I mean, there, there was nobody there. Um, maybe there was a lot of people in the club section, but just from looking around, I, and, I, and I went to kind of see the crowd for a minute. Um, it was, was better there. than I thought at kickoff. I mean, it, it filled up, and I think that was kind of the sentiment amongst just about everyone we were sitting up there with, it was a little bit better than I anticipated at kickoff because it was it was honest to God it was about the same as the Southeast Louisiana game. I went up and pulled a a uh, a a snapshot I took of the uh, you the uh, Southeastern Louisiana game on my phone and the same time like compared it to the one I took uh, on Saturday and it was roughly the same and you had a fewer excuses to not be there Southeastern Louisiana but then it, it it did peter out fairly quickly. Um, but I mean that was expected. It, it, they just they didn't sell a lot of season tickets, and nobody was just coming to that game to come to that game. So uh, you had your players' family, and you had the people that just go to Ole Miss football games because by God, that's what they do. Um, and no no disrespect to that. I just you know it just is what it is. It, it, those were the, the people that were in the stands on Saturday. And God bless them. Um, but yeah, I mean. When, you, when you're out not able to get 25,000, I don't think there were 25,000 there. Um, and you're not able to get 25,000 to a football game, it kind of just speaks to the apathetic level of the fan base. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, this is happening all, this is an issue all across college football right now. Um, in terms of God, like, I mean, people just aren't going to games at the same rate. And Ole Miss is battling that along with the fact that, you know, people really are not invested in football right now because of the coaching staff and, you know, everything that's gone with it that we've talked about for the last uh, last little bit. So they've got one more home game. They've got LSU, and then you've got the egg, or a bye week, and then the Egg Bowl. Um, likely headed to 4-8 or 5-7. and seven. I, I, I guess one other thing, I guess, to debate here, is there really that big of a difference between 4-8 and eight and 5-7 and seven at this point? Well, 5-7 and seven likely extend your season, but other than that, I mean, I mean who, do they really care if they play in the Gasparilla Bowl at 5-7? and seven? Yeah, I guess that's another thing there. Apparently, I, I haven't looked at the APR numbers and all that, and I guess it'd probably uh-huh. be easier when you but figure I'll out who's. I'll my spreadsheet later, but it's a good possibility. I mean, they're going to take it because they need the bowl practices. They have a bunch of young football players. Like they're going to need everything. But like, I I don't know what five and seven bowl does as far as like, I don't want to say like not saving a gig or whatever. I don't know what that does in terms of like reinvigorating anyone. I don't think it does a whole lot. No, it does nothing. Um, does it help you? I mean, look, you've got a lot of young kids that get 15 extra practices. It surely surely doesn't hurt you. Um, but, no, from a fan capital standpoint, you're gaining nothing, and Ole Miss would be wise to not sell this as a big deal if they were able to get into one of these. Yeah, so, anyway, that's really about all the thoughts I had on that game. Real quick, who do you think uh, the, the Vegas odds came out for the Arkansas opening? Who do you think the top four are? Uh, I couldn't even really begin to tell you. I would imagine Gus would be in there because he's a little more – I think he would be much more appreciative. He's on there, but he's a little down the list. 
I think he would be much more appreciated there than he would be than he is at Auburn. Like he could win at kind of. I think he could win close to the same level, like in terms of seven, eight games a year, and be much more appreciated than he is currently at Auburn. I I don't know. I really. Uh, Lord I, Bell is the leader in the clubhouse. Is two to one. Well, uh, he was at Appalachian State is three to one. Lane Kiffin is four to one. Bill Clark is five to one, and Hugh Freeze is eight to one. That would be quite something if Hugh Freeze took that job. <laughs> I think they are Norvell. I think they're the team that, that takes the plunge and, and deals with whatever's coming. Yeah, I, do, I don't see how you wouldn't take at least a long, hard look at Bill Clark either. Um, but I, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to get into my nerdy college football stuff, but the, some of the roads that come off of that bud. I mean, I guess, but at the same time, the dude's perennially bow eligible at a program that they killed after the first time he took it over him. Yeah, he is. But I do wonder, too, how much was... They did sign 50 kids in a recruiting class. I wonder how much... And they were all seniors. I wonder how much that mattered. I mean, I guess, but like, what other option do you have? No, I'm not saying that they had another option. I'm just saying when you have 50 kids in a signing class and a, 50, a senior class of 50 kids, I just wonder how much that helps you. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I think he'll get a pretty decent look at some different places. But, yeah, Norvell would seem to make a bunch of sense there. Uh, I guess transitioning over, before we uh, get into some hoops, remind you, podcast brought to you by all Uh I don't know how Greg did this week. We'll have the results for you on Wednesday. Maybe if some of you took his picks, maybe you do know. Uh, but go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. They've got daily Daily specials, they've got lunch plate, daily lunch plates, uh, steaks, sausages, custom cuts, all kinds of stuff. Go see LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Best place around to get meat, without a doubt. Um, transitioning into hoops, Ole Miss had its season opener on Friday night against Arkansas State. Uh, they play again on Tuesday night against North Folk State. Kind of a two, two-pronged um, basketball news weekend in the sense they win on Friday and then they get the highest-rated commit in school history in Matthew Merle, is it Merle or Morell? I couldn't figure out how you pronounce it. I always said Morell, but uh, you don't give me a lie. Uh, he's the highest-rated uh, commit in school history. He's the 45th overall, um, according to 247. He's a 6'4 shooting guard. He is a Whitehaven, so basically a Memphis kid, but he's playing his last year at IMG Academy. Um, a huge in pro- program really defining get for Kermit Davis because these are the type of kids that Ole Miss really couldn't get and weren't even really consistently in on over the past 15 to 20 years and really kind of in all of its history as a basketball program. Um, that's not really an indictment on anyone who's come here before, particularly Andy Kennedy, but it shows that the groundwork has kind of been laid and the program is trending in the right direction. And the fact that they're in on these kids and they're getting these kids with seems like a pretty decent rate um, or at least getting in the conversation bodes well for Kermit Davis's long-term success here because that was eventually what was going to sink, or or is that that was what was going to determine whether he sinks or floats is if he can get a little bit better talent or uh, uh, consistently, I guess a tier up talent-wise that Andy Kennedy w- was not able to, and I, I think he's starting to do that. And I would argue he's a much better on-floor coach, but you know, be that as it may, whatever. But a huge get for them, um, you know. Is there possibly room for one more kid? I think they're eyeing probably at least in this next class. They're going to have to find a way to free up a scholarship, but I, I don't find that think that would be particularly difficult. They've got to free up one already now from URL, don't they? Yes, but I think there's some anticipation in terms of like one coming open and how that's going to go. But okay. I think they could open up another one as well if needed. 
But a huge get for them. That was a big day Saturday. It was kind of, I don't want to say it was overshadowed by football, but it kind of happened at the same time as a football game. So I didn't feel like that went about as mainstream or, or I guess was portrayed as big a deal as it ended up being. But a good get. I mean, he fits that profile that Kermit Davis is trying to, like he's trying to continue to mold this program in terms of the on-floor product in what he wants it to be. And that's really kind of four guys that fit Merle's frame, anywhere from 6'4 to 6'6", six, six, you know, 200 to 230-pound range. And then a and then a kind of small, uh, smaller, sleeker center, and he definitely fits into that. He can play the two, probably can play the three a little bit if you slid him over. Um, but yeah, that's a huge get for them. Anyway, on the I, I guess on the on court side, they win what they won by twenty something on Friday night. Arkansas State and they didn't play well. Yeah, they played all right. I thought they guarded pretty well defensively. They played yeah, they did. okay on well, offense. Offense, man, it was not pretty at times. No, but that's kind of the way. It, it, that was kind of the way it is in the exhibition. There, they um. They don't move it as well or share the basketball as well as the team at the end of the year did last year, but I think that's partially and mostly a product of just having a bunch of new pieces. They played a bunch of different guys in this game. They really played, I think they played 13, but they played 10 or 11 of consequence, like in terms of guys that are probably going to be in the rotation. Um, K.J. Buffin had another really nice game. I think he had 16 and 9. Um, you know, Made a three. Yeah, he did. After he, what, he took 16 last year and made 40, stepped out and kind of flashed the ability to make a perimeter jump shot, made a three early in the game. He thought he's kind of the guy that's going to take the the, the leap this year um, in, in scoring and both really everything. He's added a bunch of muscle weight that's really equipped him well to, or better equipped him to kind of finish at the rim. Um, it's also better equipped him to get through contact He's just much stronger. He looks much more confident. You're going to see an uptick in scoring from him, and I think you're also going to see an uptick in scoring from Devontae Schuler, who had 21, 20, somewhere in that range the other night on a pretty efficient shooting. I think he only missed two shots. Uh, he was 100% the best player on the floor on Friday night on both ends by far. He was really good defensively. He disrupted anything Arkansas State was trying to do um, in terms of getting into half-court offense, and he was really, really good and really efficient on the other end. Ole Miss... Uh, Overcame a night where Brian Tyree didn't really shoot the ball well. Uh, I think Kermit Davis summed it up pretty well after the game. He's like, Brian Tyree's the last person I'm worried about on this team. Uh, I think he was just settling for – he was seemed like he was settling for perimeter jump shots a, a decent bit and not really trying to get to the rim because what, what he when he's able to get to the rim, not only does teams have to kind of worry about him going by him, but he also has one of the better – he might have the best mid-range game in the SEC. And in a day and age where the mid-range jump shot has kind of been, I guess uh, – deemed not valuable by analytics or whatever Tyree's got one of the best in the in the in the conference and possibly in the country and when he's aggressive and getting to the rim it also sets that up as well but he had a tough night shooting but again I think that's more so a uh just kind of a product of of it being an off day on their on their first game I I don't think they're necessarily worried about him but sure was 20 points on 7-11 shooting he had an assist and a couple rebounds was really good defensively played 28 minutes um, Luis Rodriguez had five points. He was okay. He guarded better. He did end up grabbing six rebounds. Took a couple of ill-advised shots that made Kermit Davis want to pull his hair out. But overall, they played okay. I thought they uh, they played really well defensively. Arkansas State could not really, outside of the first three, four minutes of the game, they didn't really do, weren't able to get clean and contested looks. I think for the game, they only made, uh, I want to make sure I have this right before I say it. Yeah, they only made 15 field goals for the game. They're 15 to 46 from the field. That's pretty good defense, defensive efficiency. Um, but again, played a lot of guys, did some nice things. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they whittle down 
this rotation because you saw a decent bit from Austin Crowley, who has, I think, a little bit of Blake Henson in him in terms of, like, the freshman confidence. Like, he hit his first three and, like, galloped down the court doing some kind of bizarre celebration. Um, not Definitely not scared to let it fly. But, like, how, how do some of these other guys factor in, whether it's Bryce Williams, Franco Miller, uh, Carlos Curry got 10 minutes in this game in the front court. Um, in the post, aside from uh, – I, I thought Hadeem C looked more like what Kermit Davis says is himself. He was in concussion protocol going into the exhibition. Um, he had eight points in 20 minutes, grabbed four rebounds. I thought Sammy Hunter played really well, too. It didn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet, but did some nice things defensively. They're definitely going to be a much better and different-looking team in the post. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a team that's got a lot of different pieces. I thought Austin Crowley was pretty good on, on, on Friday, too. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, man, look, they're, they're going to get they're gonna get contributions from a lot of different people. But they, there may not be but one or two guys that are on scholarship that aren't that aren't going to contribute. So uh, it, it's a team that's going to be able to get a lot, of, a lot out of a lot of different people. Um, I thought it was nice of them that Brian didn't necessarily play well. Um, and they still were able to perform like they did. Um, kind of shows, you know, that, look, teams are going to key on Brian because PD's not there. Um, so the other guys are going to have to go make plays. And for the most part, they kind of did that on Friday night. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to garner more attention, particularly because he's playing off the ball and on the wing with Shewer. Point guard, when you don't have a scorer like Terrence Davis on the other side, you're going to, be able, you're going to garner increased attention he was already going to anyway i mean he's a first team all sec guy that averaged 17 in the league last year so like i he was already going to garner a lot of attention but yeah i think there's something to that as well but they look like they've got a potential to be a really good team and a really kind of well-rounded team they've got some uh they've got some room a lot of room to improve in terms of half court offense um they kind of dribble the air out of the ball sometimes and they don't always move the ball particularly well but when you have guys like Schuler and you have guys like Tyree that are able to create their own shot, that becomes a less, a little bit less of a worry. And then, of course, like last year, who was going to rim protect and who was going to rebound, that was really a big issue for this team. That does not appear like it's going to be much of an issue this year. Because um, I, I don't think they're going to have to – I think there was a little bit of a fear maybe at the end of last year that they were going to have to rely on Carlos Curry a lot and really trust him to play major minutes. I don't think that's going to have to be the case this year because of the them obviously getting Hadim C and the way he's looked so far. Kind of the same thing goes for Sammy Hunter and him being able to contribute this year. So I, I think they're very much better equipped to, to rim protect and to rebound in the post, and they're much more versatile. They're going to be able to throw out a lot more different lineups than they did last year to where they really just kind of were what they were. They were five starters, two bench guys that really didn't offer very much. Um, in terms of like the team looking any different, because like Ole Miss, like I, 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 it was a small stretch, but like when they bur- went on their initial twelve to nothing run, that kind of blew the game open at like thirteen four or fifteen four, something like that. Davis went small. He went Tyree Schuler Crowley. I think it was Sammy Hunter and C. Maybe maybe I have that wrong. Maybe it was Buffin and C. I don't remember, but he went with a smaller lineup. And it worked quite well. They hit a couple of jump shots. They got uh, forced a couple of turnovers defensively and kind of hit them at 12-0 like that. I say all of that to say they're going to be able to run out a bunch of different lineup combinations at various points in the games in terms of, I guess, opposing teams' personnel and how they match up defensively, but really just kind of to keep teams off balance in general. They'll definitely be much deeper. Yeah, no, like, like we said before, I mean, this team's got, got a lot of different ways that, that Kermit can use them. 
Um, look, he's going to settle into an eight or nine man rotation by the time they probably go to Memphis. I expect Blake Henson to play against Memphis. So um, I guess we probably need to get into that for a minute. But uh, yeah, look, this team's really good. And they're going to take a little bit to gel, and it might cost them some non conference games. But I think by the time that uh, February 15th rolls around or so, this team's going to be pretty good. Yeah, so Blake Henson is going to the doctor, I believe. Let's see. Oh, no, 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 no. November 16th. So basically a week from, uh, a little under a week from, that would be next. be Saturday, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be this Friday or Saturday, I believe, is what Cumberland Davis said. And they hope he will be able to be cleared for contact at that point and kind of get him back practicing full. Again, he's been practicing, just not with the blood abnormality. He's not been able to practice with, uh, with contact. So I imagine once you're able to get him kind of back cleared for contact, he would be back in the next week. Um, that Memphis game the next Saturday may be a little ambitious, but he may be able to do it. I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but somewhere around that mark, they would. I, they definitely hope to have him back by the end of the month if he is indeed cleared for contact at that point, which will make them kind of settling into a rotation a lot easier um, when he comes back. Because they, they miss him in the sense that like he and Buffin are two guys now that have played a bunch of basketball and they know how to run offense to where when you have C and you have Hunter and you have a, a Crowley – on the wing, like those guys are still kind of new to this type of basketball in terms of like the high major D one basketball and all. Oftentimes they get caught watching. Sometimes you know they don't exactly get in the offense the way they do. Like Buffin and Henson know how to run half court offense and kind of know what to do. And I think there's a little bit of that missing with um, Henson off the floor. But again, a very minor thing, very early in the year. But it will certainly help getting him back um, by the end of the month. And that'll probably help them going. Like I, I think they'll have him back before they kind of hit that stretch where they go play at the Barclays Center, uh, where I think they what they have. Penn State and then Syracuse or somebody. Syracuse or Oklahoma State, I think, and then they play yeah. Butler at home after that. So they'll probably have him for that little stretch, which is which will certainly be helpful for them. But I thought they played pretty well on Friday, and then of course they got even more significant news on Saturday with the. Uh, with the commitment of Matthew Morell or Murrell, however you say it, I don't know. At this time last year, we thought uh, we thought Hadim C was Kadim Sai. So uh, there's not a phonetic spelling guys to these guys <laughs> to the guide to these prospects. Anyway, um, so back at it against Norfolk State on Tuesday, which I don't know how much they returned from a year ago. I'm not going to pretend to know much about Norfolk State, but I believe that was the team that beat Alabama in the first round of the NIT last year. That it probably ended up costing Avery Johnson his game. Maybe so, yeah. Um, that sounds right. So, yeah, anyway, um, I guess we kind of kind of take a look around the SEC uh, before we do that. One more time, go see Greg University Avenue, LB's best place in Mississippi to get meat. Um, it's getting cold outside. We're about to have what they apparently these weather nerds call an Arctic blast. The high tomorrow is going to be 33 with a low of 17. That doesn't sound fun. That's my speed, man. I don't know. It went from fall to winter there in a hurry. I imagine we'll end up getting uh, some warmer weather after that as well. I I don't think it'll stay that way for the entirety, but hell, what do I know? Um, But anyway, go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Let him help you uh, figure out what you want to put on the grill. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, Obviously, big story here. Uh, What a win for LSU and what a win for Ed Orgeron. they're going to the college football playoff more than likely. Ole Miss and Arkansas stand in the way. Yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be much of a letdown there. Look, like I saw the line for Ole Miss Arkansas came out at 21. I was a little surprised by. The, I mean, excuse me, Ole Miss LSU 
was I was a little surprised by that, but I guess they're per- forecasting a little bit of a hangover. I just think offensively, LSU is going to be able to name their score. Yeah, Ole Miss has gotten better in the secondary, but I don't know how Ole Miss is going to score because the way you attack LSU is in the secondary, not by running the football at them 36 times, which is what Ole Miss is going to try on Saturday. Good luck to them for that. Uh, Godspeed. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how Ole Miss scores 21 points, and I think LSU scores 42, so I think LSU winds up covering. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they'll have much trouble with that either. God, getting into that game, I've watched it, most of it on my computer Sound on sometimes, sound off sometimes. I was kind of halfway trying to do my job. They didn't have it on TVs in the press box? No, I mean, once the game starts, they've got the, the Ole Miss game on the television. I would have made a special request. Uh, I mean, that I, I, that would have definitely been lovely, but again, uh, outside of my control there. But, um, so, it's what the fi- what was the final score? Because at, at the, oh, God, don't get me started. At the end of the uh, game when it got close, that was when Ole Miss's postgame press was happening. But LSU, what, gets up 33-12 or whatever, something like that. Gets up 33-13 sc- at half. Yeah, thir- uh, three scores. Alabama makes it a game after that. It seemed like, I, I thought in this game, I thought LSU was going to win, and I thought it was going to be because Alabama's defense got exposed. And that was kind of the case, but it really was kind of their offense fumbling out of the gate, I say fumbling, I guess stumbling is a better word, not literally fumbling, except in one case, literally fumbling. But that's really what kind of put them behind the eight ball is the offense turning the ball over and not being very good early in the game. They were never really able to recover from that, it seemed like. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly what it was. Turnover got them killed. I thought Alabama, once they got settled down on the second half, played better than LSU did, but they just dug themselves such a hole with those turnovers and mistakes that they weren't coming out of it. Yeah, so I again I watched in in pieces and spots. How did Alabama really kind of make it close in the second half? Like I, they, um, they got back in the LSU game. Secondary is not very good. Tua took advantage of them and hit some long pass plays. And LSU's offense stalled for a minute, but they uh, they were able to figure it out too. So uh, that's how Alabama. Was. I mean, look, Alabama's dynamic on offense. Tua Tua made plays and, and got them back into the game. Okay, I, another question I had is I saw Gary Danielson was trending. What did he do? I have no clue. There was some the, – the review where, where – uh, I, I don't know how closely you were watching the game, but Thad Moss, Randy Moss's kid, makes a catch. And apparently uh, apparently Gary Danielson was saying one, it was 100% getting overturned and then man – Well, it should have been. I have no – look, I was watching it with, with the volume off, so I don't know their reasoning. Um, but the kid was clearly out of bounds. I, I don't know what the rule was, but he caught the ball after being out of bounds. Well, I think, I think it was a – from what I could tell, a forced out type of deal. I don't know. Um, okay. Any, so, but apparently there, there was an explanation for it, and Gary Danielson is telling the rules official what's going to happen. It's like, I, I think you're probably out of your lane a little bit there. <laughs> um, yeah, Gary thinks Gary knows more about football than Gary knows. Well, so he came out. He went and saw their practice or walkthrough or whatever on Thursday or Friday, and then I, I'm sure Nick Saban loved this, proceeded to claim that uh, Tua looked nothing like himself and was not going to be uh, – not going to be completely healthy. That didn't necessarily look like the case. I didn't think Tua looked very limited. I thought he ran pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you could tell he was still kind of gimpy, but yeah, I mean, he was fine. I don't think the the injury is what lost Alabama football game. Right. So I think Alabama's in trouble here. I don't think they're going to be. Oh, Alabama's not making playoffs. Chaos happens. Yeah, I think they're going to need some help um, because you're going. What's now going to happen to them? You know, barring something really unforeseen. Is that they're right, well, I mean, crap, let's just look. Let's just do it. Let's fill four spots. LSU's getting one. Ohio State's getting one. And Clemson's getting one. So we got one spot open. 
how's Alabama getting that spot? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you would, you would kind of need help. I mean, you would need a Penn State but, to beat an Ohio State and then something yeah. to happen in the championship game and all that. They would need help. But what's going to end up coming to happen is that there's one, there's going to be one spot left, it seems like, and they're going to be going up against an Oklahoma or an Oregon or a Utah where it's going to be basically three or four one-loss teams and the ones with the better shot are going to be the ones that obviously have a conference a conference uh, championship, which is what the committee has kind of used selectively uh, in the last couple of years. Like they've used it to reinforce their point when they make a decision and they kind of ignore it when they make a decision that goes against it. But I do think that's going to work against Alabama in this case. So I, I don't think they have much of a path to the playoff at this point. I mean, I, it could definitely happen and they could definitely get there. Like a one loss Alabama is going to be in consideration, but I, I, they're going to need some help, which is what you're not used to seeing from Nick Saban in Alabama. Here's going to be Alabama's issue to me is, look, Baylor is going to be 11-1, and I think, when they play Oklahoma, who's 11-1. and Like, one of those teams is going to win the conference title at 12-1. and why, why do they not deserve to be in over Alabama? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, the conference championship thing is really what's going, to bu- what's going to kill them. And, like, there's really no hope of LSU losing two at this point. They've got LSU them. can lose a game and still get in, I think. Yeah, no, I, I would certainly agree with that. I just meant out in terms of Alabama winning the West. That locked up the West. Like, LSU's not losing two of three to Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. <laughs> I mean, that's just they not happening. They'd kind of funny if they did, but I don't know how it happened. Yeah, I, I, I can't even begin. Yeah. But, um, what it, I don't know, it was cool. That was a cool scene for Ed Um, at the end of that game. Like, I... Like I, I mean, he really, there was literally no one that thought he deserved that job. There was no one that thought he did, but it worked. It did work. Like he's 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 evolved. Like him at Ole Miss and him at LSU is kind of a drastically like in terms of like a one eighty night and day transformation. It is uh it is quite it has been something to watch. Um, yeah, just, he figured out that he didn't need to do much coaching and hire people that knew how to do their jobs and stay the hell out of the way. Yeah, pretty much, and just kind of become a program manager because, to his credit, he recruits very well. He went and helped find the right quarterback. Uh, Joe Burrow is is he might be the best quarterback LSU's ever had, not Jamarcus Russell. I would argue he might even be better than him, but yeah, yeah. And so, like, I don't know. I just I never I w- I didn't think that hire was going to be as disastrous as some people thought based on the way LSU uh, Ed kind of handled his interim gig both at LSU and both at USC. Like, I thought they'd be formidable because that place just kind of recruits to itself to some degree, and I thought he'd matured enough not to wreck it. But if you're telling me, you know, two years removed from his kind of bizarre we come in deal in Bryant-Denny Stadium that they would be kicking Alabama's ass and going and winning the West, I didn't think that would happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, kudos to him because I think it's the first of Ed's tenure. He wanted to be the same guy he was at Ole Miss, and then he realized that if I continue to do this they're going to fire me um and but Dave Aranda and Joe Brady do their job and Steve Enfinger and they do a really good job uh, they're really good coaches and they recruit really well um a lot of scrappy underdogs I don't know if you saw that the uh, the narrative that LSU was a bunch of underdogs uh, came into came into effect on Twitter on Saturday night I'm like are you people kidding me yeah I guess that really just stems from um what it being kind of a you know Joe Burrow Ohio State leftover type of deal Ed wasn't supposed to get the job that, that type of stuff I mean they're really good you got five star athletes all over the field though man like, oh on. I'm not disagreeing but I, I'm guessing that's where that kind of stemmed from I guess goodness use some there, there was there was articles about that I'm like Jesus Christ guys this is the top five recruiting team in the country 
Yeah, I mean, uh, like at some point, talent is talent. Like number one and number five in the recruiting rankings isn't that far off. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree with that. So, anyway, cool day for Ed, cool day for LSU. Elsewhere, I think Minnesota was probably the most surprising result. I don't think anyone gave them much yeah, of a they, chance. And they, uh, they, I always did Minnesota was kind of broad 8-0 because they played a bunch of close games against a bunch of crappy teams. But, boy, they proved me wrong on Saturday. Well, they threw. I think they probably threw it across the yard a lot better than people anticipated. Like, every time I looked up, they were busting a 14, 15-yard play through the air. Yeah, yeah they, they chucked the crap out of it. Look, man, they've got a puncher shot at it. I know they've got to go play Iowa I mean, next they week. They got to go through Ohio State. They yeah. do, but I mean, if you get into a game in the uh, in the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State, that's a puncher shot at the college football sure, playoff. Sure. Yeah, they they will have the opportunity. I just I think Ohio State is by far the best team in the country. Um, yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that too. It, from the I've seen Alabama play a couple games, seen LSU, seen Clemson. Although I think Clemson's probably just bored. But I do think yeah, Clemson's going to be a lot better in, G- in January, guys. Yeah, I think. Uh, but I do think I would agree with that. I think Alabama is the. Uh, I mean, excuse me, Ohio State is kind of a tick above everybody right now. Uh, I oh, I guess kind of get we're kind of jumping around here, but we had some really interesting news break on Friday on two fronts. You had the Chase Young deal where the NCAA uh, hit him for not or for taking a loan from a friend to fly his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl. Wasn't that it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a big deal. Can't can't let somebody borrow 2000 especially when they pay it back. And then on top of that, we figured out that it takes $11,000 to move three hours from Nashville to Memphis. Okay, so people are making fun of that, and I get it, but this, this, that implied to me that he was just paying their rent, right? Hey, I, he was just getting, like, a little... I'm against the. I'm not against Penny or whatever. Like, like I, I'm not against paying kids, but to say that money was just for them to move from Nashville to Memphis is kind of stupid. I think he was just maybe he helped with the move and also was like, hey, here's you know, classic money to get by. I guess is kind of the deal. I don't really know, but like to cite it as him paying for the move. Oh yeah, by the way, it was eleven grand. Like, come on, man. I just wonder how they got caught. Like, obviously Memphis had to turn it into the NCAA. I think what happened was. Memphis thought this was going to be legal. Because otherwise, how does the NCAA find this this money missing from Penny's bank account? I think Memphis found this, turned it over like this happened. We think it's legal. And the NCAA was like, whoa, buddy. Okay, so the other part of this is what I don't understand is they kept... So one, apparently they, he was, they were told in May that he was likely going to be ineligible and they just kind of played him anyway. And then uh, it kind of came up again on Friday. I, I'm assuming this came up again after playing him in the opener. And then they file a temporary restraining order, 58 minutes for a tip, drive to the arena, and he plays the other night in a game they didn't need him in. Everyone's applauding Memphis for being like, uh, like screw you, NCAA. I don't think it's going to work because once you're in the crosshairs and once you're kind of stepping in the NCAA quicksand, there's no getting out because they play by their own rules. So everyone's like, good on Memphis, like double birds, ha, ha, ha. It's like, okay, that's fine, but I don't think it's going to work. I think they're toast. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, it worked for Auburn, so... Auburn just said, screw you, we're not giving you anything. And Memphis is kind of doing the same thing. But so. Memphis admitted to it. Auburn didn't admit to it. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think they've got a puncher's chance in court. So, And frankly, what is NCAA going to do? They're not going to rule on this before the season ends. Why is he going to play in the NCAA tournament? If they go win the national title and the NCAA strips it, you still won the national title. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that either. 
But like, what happens if this kind of fleshes itself out before the end of the year and they have to forfeit all the games? The NCAA the moved faster than they ever have in their entire existence. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just I thought it was weird that every, like they like Memphis kept getting they all got applauded for like you know the tough stance and the temporary injunction. They're like power move, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of think that's awesome too. But I don't think it's going to work. I think there's a difference between the two. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. The NCAA is not exactly well liked, so we'll uh, we'll see where it goes. I, 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 if I'm Memphis, I don't do anything different. I play the kid and come to throw off. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that as well. Any, uh, but that was really kind of it over the weekend. Um, Kind of a chalk week in the NFL. Like, not a ton of interesting things happened. That Titans-Chiefs game was wild. The Chiefs really had no business losing that, and then all of a sudden just did. Um, Looks like Muschamp's going to survive at South Carolina, by the way. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I, there was there was talk that they're missing a bowl this game this year was going to get him fired. And they're going to miss a bowl, but according to footballscoop.com, he, he appears to be safe. I thought there was a chance they'd make a move there. Yeah, I guess, but I don't. I mean, they've been absolutely slaughtered with injuries this year. I think he's an okay coach. I think that Georgia win saved him immediately from this year like, for this year. I guess on the other end of that, like Chad Morris, holy shit, man! Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, he's zero fourteen. Like, I think the decision was made, and then I think on Saturday they uh, they lost to Western Kentucky, and somebody, some booster was like, "Nah, man, we're done with this," and just paid the bile. I think that happened. Yeah, probably something along those lines because I don't even think I saw. Uh, I, we had a couple people debating, and we debated this on the radio show a little bit um, all, over the last couple weeks, talking about like giving guys more time and stuff like that. I don't even really think that's the argument here because he lost to Western Kentucky and San Jose State. So yeah, even if there isn't much of an uptick in between year one and year two, and you're saying it's a low rebuild, you can't lose to athletically inferior teams like that. Like Western Kentucky's not a good group of five program. San Jose State's not a good group of five program. So like you, you that's really what it is here is is that, those alarming defeats. Like if he had gone four and eight this year and beaten those two teams, he's probably okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been an improvement. Um the same reason Matt Luke gets so much criticism. Year two is supposed to be a tick up. Frankly, it's a tick down. Um, so, yeah, it's like I have no. I hate it, you know, for, for Morris, I guess, but, like, dude, you went four and what, 16? And went 0 and 14 in the conference? Like, for the love of God, win a game. Um, and, frankly, I don't know how many games they were close to in. They, they were close against AM. Uh, Ole Miss kind of ran them off the field, State ran them off the field. Um, trying to think of anybody. They, they were close against Kentucky. So they played two competitive SEC games out of six. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and Kentucky had a running back playing quarterback, which, by the well, way, fair, a wide receiver. I, yeah, I watched my, I watched that game, a little bit of that game on uh, on Saturday night with my parents. After I went over and saw them with my grandparents after uh, Ole Miss's game. I had never watched the whole Lynn Bowden thing. That's a... Uh, Honestly, the way they actually move the ball, just basically knowing, no, everyone knowing they're not going to pass, is kind of impressive. Yeah, I guess that's what Ole Miss is trying to do. I mean, you could argue in some ways that uh, Kentucky's more effectively throwing the ball with it. Because like on a, <laughs> the couple passes they did complete, it was just uh, Bowden or Bowden, however you say it, scrambling around like an athlete and then finding a guy open like some schoolyard bullshit, essentially is what it was. But they complete passes more consistently than Ole Miss does. Yeah, yeah. Ole Miss, Ole Miss tries to think too much. 
Bouts yeah. just runs around back there and throws the thing around. Yeah, so that was the first time I'd watched it, and I was actually like, hey, this actually isn't half bad given what they're actually doing with. Um, and they lost. Yeah, anything else in the NFL wasn't really surprising, I don't think, last night. Kirk Cousins won a big... My God, Andy Reid, like at some point, are the Chiefs going to get it together? Yeah, their defense isn't very good, and they really just kind of choked that game away. I mean, they had a field goal attempt with three minutes left to go up nine and salt the game away. The snapper snaps it when the holder's not ready. Titans score a touchdown. Then they don't get a first down. They need to win the game, and the Titans Titans scored again. So that was... uh, that was a that was a pretty shocking result there, but they're in a bad division. They're going to win that division, and they're going to get in the playoffs. But I don't think their defense is good enough to go in and beat a Tom Brady or even a Deshaun Watson. No. So, no. well, frankly, the, the Ravens is the second best team in the league right now. Uh, that yeah, they are. They are really good. Um, they destroyed Cincinnati this week. Uh, I thought Kirk Cousins and the Vikings played pretty well last night. They ran it all over the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys... They're kind of good. No, they are really good. They have one of the two best rosters, probably, maybe three best rosters in the NFL. Really good defense. If Cousins plays like that and they run the ball well, they're going to be a tough out in the NFC. Uh, I don't know if Dallas is a playoff team at this point. I think Philadelphia's finally gotten it together, and I think only one team from that division is making the playoffs, and I don't think it's the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they've still got to play each other twice, so anything can happen. But yeah, I'm betting money right now. It's the Eagles. Got a good Monday night game tonight, and then we'll get to the rest of the LB's pick 'em on Wednesday. Um, I'll probably have our friend Brody Miller on on Wednesday to talk some Ole Miss LSU. Really, just kind of the state of LSU right now and what how this has happened. Um, so we'll have that for you on Wednesday. But if unless you got anything else, I'm going to get out of here and go to this press conference. Sounds good. All right, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. If you like what you heard today, rate and review the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast because uh, the more we grow, the more we're able to do. But we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, but for Brian Scott Rippey, or for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.